everybody. Welcome again to Revive School. And yes, you have a different teacher today. And I hope that doesn't scare you to death. My name is Gordon Hinky, And yes, I am not Kyle Lance Martin. Um, I am thankful to be a part of the school. I am from northern Indiana, been a pastor up there for quite a few years. So I'm excited to be with you. And I believe this is something that God really wants us to be involved in, in the study of his word. Uh, today, our task is Matthew chapter 18. And uh, I want to tell you just in... Again, for some of you who might not uh, understand my heart and passion, I just want to tell you, anytime that we get an opportunity to study the Word of God, it is something that is to be considered precious to us. This is the unfolding of the kingdom that is unseen, and yet it becomes visible to us through the Word of God. And so as you have just gotten through Kyle's teaching of Matthew 17 with the transfiguration, there was an unfolding of the kingdom. There was something that was visible that had been invisible before. And that's to be our take in the word of God is to see the un, uh, unseen kingdom, the invisible kingdom. And how do we operate in that? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things that are not seen. There is a kingdom that is very real. It's around us, but we only get to see it right now through the eyes of faith or through the revelation, the unveiling of the kingdom. In Matthew 18, we actually have a major unveiling of kingdom principles. And so as we look at this, I want us to look at it with expectation. Uh, anytime we look into this, and this, the reason I like Matthew 18, it starts out in an excellent way to, to give us a clue into the kingdom and how we are to come to the kingdom. And so as you are looking at your passage of scripture at Matthew chapter 18, verse one, it says at the same time, and this is in King James to humor me, um, came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I believe, and, and this is just going to be opinion because we can't read all the innuendo. This is like texting. We can't tell all the inflection. But what we have, <clears throat> I believe, is the disciples who have just witnessed not only the transfiguration, they saw Jesus cast out a demon that they were not able to cast out in Matthew chapter 17. And they're really saying, I'm seeing differences in this kingdom stuff that I don't understand. And so this question, I don't believe, is one that's trying to say, which one of us is the greatest in the kingdom? I, I really believe that in the tenor of where they've been, they're asking what makes somebody great in the kingdom? How do I operate in a kingdom that I can't see? And how does this kingdom operate so that we have clues into what we need to know? And it's really interesting if we go on to the next verse and you see um, Jesus answer in a very uh, open way to say, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. And so when it says a little child, I don't think he's 13. I don't think he's 15. I think he's probably six or seven. I don't know that. And I don't think you know that either. Um, but you see this little child come and set him in the middle of all of the disciples. And then Jesus goes on and says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you be converted... Just want us to pause there for a second. Converted. I, I want us to understand what this word would mean. It would mean that we're going to turn away or turn towards. And so as we're looking, um, and I'm just going to bounce right off of what chapter 17 was. We had a transfiguration. It was something invisible that now became visible. 
This is talking about our understanding of the kingdom and the, the way the earth is worked and the way the kingdom of heaven is worked. And they had said, kingdom of heaven. He says, and except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You won't understand it. You won't have its visibility. You won't have any of those things. And so here's what I'd like to do. I, I, I'd like to just talk to you just a little bit about uh, this whole idea of conversion and being converted. I, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, which speaks of the wisdom of this world compared to the wisdom of God. And, and that would really indicate how some of these things uh, come into our thought process. Because as we get older in this world, we would obviously get smarter. We would think we gain knowledge. We, we understand more principles of this kingdom. And yet he says, like this child, what does this child do? And, and, um, how, how am I supposed to perceive? How does one become great in the kingdom? You have to start over. You have to be converted. You have to realize, what am I going to do? I got to go to school. I've got to learn principle upon principle upon principle, and I've got to receive it as if this is my way of life. And as adults, we have issues with this. I have issues with this because I'd like to be known for what I already know. The truth is, the more that I know, the more I realize I don't know in the kingdom understanding. And so when we look at this child concept, I even look at this as I've been a pastor now for quite a few years. But the truth is, I don't think that any of us have such a handle on what we're doing and how much we know that we're not constantly in the area of discovery and saying, God, I know there's more behind this. And so every time I even would come into passages of scripture, I'm looking at this going, God, look, I, I see more and more. And so you keep writing more notes and more notes and pretty soon. And this is after a while, it's called commentary. I, I believe that's how it comes. I, I, I really believe that you just study and study and write. And pretty soon you're going, goodness, these notes are like a book. Well, maybe I should do that. And, and hey, Gordy's commentary. Look for it in your bookstores. No, that's not going to happen. Um, I shouldn't say that. You never know. Um, but there's a whole concept here of what we don't know. And that's what we, even in churches, in church leadership, in, in all of our background, I... I'm confident in what I know, but God, what don't I know? And especially, I want to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read a few a few verses here. And when you see this, uh, it'll, it'll just be a little bit of a dialogue, but it comes to a conclusion. And it says this, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? In other words, where's the one who professes to be wisdom? Who's the philosopher here? Where's the scribe? Who's the great writer? Where is the disputer of this world? Who's the one that has the, and that's really where the philosophy would come in. I, I love the whole idea of philosophy um, because it, it's a, if you use it in Greek terms, it's philosophia, um, you're the lover of wisdom. Uh, that's, a, that, that's a compound Greek word. And so they love wisdom. And so they're constantly pulling to themselves the idea of what don't I know? And if I can figure it out, won't I really be something? Here's what he says. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the, wor the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words, 
God had implanted the wisdom of God into these people. And yet because of sin, now they lost their understanding of God. And so it says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In other words, he had to re-preach a gospel that we were brought into this world with, that there is a divine perfection in Adam and Eve, and it's been lost, and now he has to bring it back into this place of um, ownership uh, so that we can walk with it. The Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. I love this. The Jews, they want to see it. They want to see something happen. The Greeks... They want to hear what you know. They want to, they're going to seek after how good you've really brought about this whole idea of what your ideas in this world are. And let's go to the next verse. And it says, but we, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block. Why? He didn't make any sense unto the Greeks foolishness. Why? It doesn't fit their world system. It, it doesn't, you can't get there from here. You can't prove any of that stuff. Now we go to the next verse, which is the capstone. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. This is one of those crazy places. What do you think of foolishness of God? Guys, you want to talk about the foolishness of God? Mm, No, thanks. (laughs) I'll pass on that one. (laughs) Yeah. Kevin, what do you think? It's just our minds can't even understand what he's doing. That's... Mm -hmm. Here, here's, here's the way I put it. Obviously, God doesn't have foolishness because if you know everything, you can do anything. You've got all this. Everything you do is going to be purposeful. I mean, if we could cut right to the chase in anything, what would we do? We, we just get it done. So I just put it in these terms. God's lowest thoughts, God's um, least involved purposes are still greater than the greatest imaginations of man. We can't begin to ascend into a purpose that would be high enough that our highest purposes would achieve his lowest purposes. And so when I see this, I I, I have to qualify, and I believe that this qualifies Matthew chapter 18 um, in, in understanding what they're after in seeing the kingdom. So this chapter actually flows now into some different areas and it, and it teaches us um, God's values compared to our values. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 18. And in, let's see, I'm going to put my glasses on here. In verse number five, it says this, and whosoever shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now, if you look this up, and, and, and say receive one. And especially in talking about this, it would be in the sense of taking one by the hand. So who is the little one? The little one is one who is seeking the kingdom that realizes they don't know. I'm willing to be taught. I want to know, but I honestly, I'm going to school. What are you doing tomorrow? I'm going to school. What are you going to do on the next day? I'm going to school. The idea of this, and, and I'm just going to, we're not going to go back to 1 Corinthians, but I love the concept. Because if you go back and study 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you're going to see that in a sense, all the divisions and all the things that, that we now in the church are, are having uh, as our issues, 
it would say, where do these divisions come from? Where do these things, why are these things among you? Haven't I taught well enough for you? And haven't you understood that my wisdom is only one and I have given that to you? And so it attributes, in a sense, all of our divisions to the place where we have added man's wisdom into the middle of God's wisdom. So I want to continue with that kind of thing to say, if you receive a one like this, you receive me. In other words, if you're going to come to any kind of place where you understand, now you have one that comes along. This is the idea of discipleship. That's why this fits Revive School wonderfully. The idea of you're going to take somebody and give them an understanding of the things that you know that they can't yet see. And yet it also says this in the next verse. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, thankfully, we have just come out of Old Testament. We realize how serious the penalties of Leviticus and Deuteronomy might be. And we're looking at this and going, I think we went backwards here for a minute. Um, millstone, put him in the depth of the sea, drown that critter. Um, that's, that's in serious language. But we're going to see by other verses in this chapter how important this concept is. And so I want to keep going here. I'm not going to spend the time here because we're, we're going to go on. And it says in verse 7, it says, Woe unto the world because of offenses. You could say this in different form. Um, we'll read the rest of the verse and then we'll, we'll uh, diagnose this whole thing. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. The idea is here that we live in a world that is actually transverse now. We have a spiritual kingdom unseen in the midst of a physical world, but fallen world that is real to us because it's visible. But these two oppose each other in the greatest of ways. And so the offenses are, is it, it, it would be like the clash of the worlds. Woe unto the world because of offenses. It's just going to be offensive in this world. There's no question about it. It's going to happen. But if we offend in the spiritual world because of the physical world, that means that we have brought the wrong uh, tools, the wrong ideas into this kingdom, and we are be to be the ones who bring out the spiritual kingdom. And so the, the idea is if we are proponents of the kingdom of this earth and we're going to satisfy ourselves, which this is the selfish world, if we're going to satisfy ourselves in that way, we're going to teach the wrong message. So let, let's go on here. So we, we see that verse. Let's go on. And it says this. This is just craziness. I'm sure that we can have lots of comments on this. Wherefore, if your hand or your foot offends you, cut it off. Cast them from thee, for it is better for thee to enter into life lame, maimed, halt, rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. Let's go to the next verse. And if thine, thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. The idea, I, I don't, I don't personally believe that God's saying, you know what? If you can't stop stealing, you know, uh, cut it off. I realize the language is there. I, I get that. 
But the idea that we have is that he's trying to give us the understanding of how diverse the kingdoms are, how much interest we have to have in the kingdom that is spiritual and, and to lose, it's better to lose out completely in the physical life than it is to lose out in the kingdom's aspect and then be lost out of that kingdom forever. And so in this kind of understanding, he's reiterating, you've got to enter this as a child and realize how important and how valuable these concepts are. Um, and let's go on down to verse 10. And it says this, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. Now, this is one thing that I, I, I want us to understand um, in concept. I believe that this chapter is actually teaching us the idea of the gospel of the kingdom is actually one another, one another. The idea of discipleship is one another. We have this idea of multiplication. It's one another. That's why he says, don't diminish one of these little ones. Don't, don't think that they're not important. If you get tired of one, if you don't want to take the time for them, that's actually a selfish thought. And it says in, then it talks about how their angels do always behold the face of my father. This would give us the indication of the guardian angels that each of us have been assigned angels and we are represented. And so what this would indicate is God so loves the world that he gives us personal representation so that these things would happen and, and that we are each represented. And this is where the guardian angel concept comes from. But if he values us that much, how much are we supposed to value one another? And therefore, no one is to be lost. Well, let's look and see what the next verse says. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. And uh, so we're, we're going to get into a little bit of a story here, and we'll go in through the next verses here in kind of a rapid fire so that we don't take too much time. It says, How think ye, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them is gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? Next verse. And if it so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. This is kingdom understanding because I don't necessarily understand. I've never been a shepherd. I don't know how valuable every sheep is, but sometimes in my thinking, I'm thinking I am better served if I keep the 99 safe than to risk that and go find one. And I'm going, I don't know if that's right or not. But it tells me the change of conversion that has to come into my mind so that I value one who is unsafe over 99 that are safe because they're the ones who should want to stay safe and I would risk myself to go and rescue the lost. Those are the kinds of concepts that are very kingdom and yet very strange to natural minds. So we're going to go through another section of scripture because he also brings it out in this. And um, let's, let's touch verse 14. Even so, it is not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. It is not the will of your father that one of these little ones should perish. I will tell you in my life and I'll just about bed in yours, I have to constantly bring this into my mindset. 
I have to constantly keep this kind of kingdom understanding because I get tired or I get my own priorities or I have all kinds of things that I like to do. And yet, what is the one that I could make a difference in even now? And this is something that has to arrest my thoughts at times because it's just not common sense to this natural mind. Don't I get my time? Do I have to bother with everyone? What is all of this? Now there's going to be another section and it flows right with it. This is talking um, in, in a new concept in a sense where it says, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. In other words, and we'll qualify what this has to be uh, by the time we get through the next couple of verses. But it also goes on to say then, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Next verse says, and if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, And if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen, a man, or a publican. Now, this is called the place of church discipline, so to speak. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, The church, what's he talking about? I mean, his audience is, the church isn't even established yet, right? Isn't that awesome? And yet he has already spoken, and I will and uh, build, you know, and so he's creating the concepts, I believe, um, in, in this in this way. And so they have they have their a system of elders. They've got their system of hierarchy in the church. We have the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the pub, you know all these. And yet, so they have a system. So he knows he's talking to a system. But you're right. I, that's it's it's good. Are they supposed to understand this? And yet, what he said. I even love it when when it's written later on, they talk about the church that was in the wilderness and you're going, that's a good concept, but he didn't use that word back there. And uh, so we'll let him formulate where that plan goes from here. But I love this because what our concept of church is, this has to qualify then, what is this offense that can be there? Let's put it this way. We, we need to understand that there is a line drawn by the kingdom of God that makes us a fellowship, that makes us a church. There has to be, any kingdom has to have its governance and its laws. This one does. And that's why he gives us his word in this way. But it has to be, if this offense is going to be measured, it has to be measured in the sense that it's got to be a big enough offense that it would actually be worthy of being brought out of what is fellowship with God himself because his fellowship is in the place of the church. So we're not putting them out because they said something bad about you or they're, you know, they, they did, you know, they have a cell phone. Uh, that's for some of you back in Indiana. Um, you, you just, you have to have a concept of what this death penalty sin is. Why? Because the whole idea of the mouth of two or three witnesses was established back when Noah came off of the ark. And you might remember this. Um, it's been a while now, back, you know, early Genesis. And yet he said, from now on, when he, when he was going to establish the new covenant with Noah, he said, I will no longer hold the earth responsible for the, the, the blood uh, of the innocents. He said, from now on, whoever sheds innocent blood, his blood is required at man's hands. But you cannot put one to death with just the witness of one. 
it has to be with the witness of two or three eyewitnesses. So if it's going to be a death penalty sin, you're bringing in the idea of two or three witnesses. This has to be something that is worthy of the two or three witness because in a sense, we don't kill him anymore. We don't stone him today, but we are putting them outside the camp, if that makes sense to you from your Old Testament teachings. So this is, so here's where you're going. Uh, with this passage. And yet the idea in all three of these, in other words, you go to him alone, you go to him in two or three, and then you tell the church, the whole idea is not to put them out. The idea is to recognize and bring restoration. It's a one another concept. We're trying to get them to see how important these, these laws are. And so that's why we want to see these things happen. And so here, here's something else that I, I, I want to just you know, kind of bring this all together. If there's somebody that won't hear one, if there's somebody who won't hear two or three, what does that tell you about who they are? I would say right off the top, unteachable. So they're not in the position of the little one that was set in the middle of them to say, unless you be converted and you're going to become as one of these. And so this is where we suffer in our generation is... If we already come in to our fellowships together and we think we know it and we think we've got it all covered, we can become unteachable and pretty soon we just, we've heard that. We know that. We know that. And we carry on in ourselves as if nobody's going to tell me anything and there really isn't anything new. Well, I want to tell you, revelation is always new. Personal revelation will always feel new, and that's why we have to keep ourselves in the position of a child. This is a, a concept that cannot grow old with us. God's wisdom is so far above our wisdom that I chase after his wisdom and declare that he is, uh, is my God and he is my teacher. I love it that they always called him rabbi. And so when, when we come into this kind of, of setting with kingdom theology and kingdom understanding, I believe there is so much that we could glean today, and we're not going to get to all of this chapter. But the idea that we have is, God, help me to know what I can be most effective in. Help me to understand what part I play in this kingdom. Where is it that I can can learn? And um, I, I got to tell you, one of the benefits that we we've seen Obviously, I said I'm from Indiana, and I have had the privilege of of being around the Time to Revive group and, and watched Revive Indiana come into fruition and all these kinds of things. But to be around other pastors, and you know what I have found in myself and in these, these wonderful people, I, I now have many, many friends who are pastors that I didn't have before. But what I found is, and I can say this openly because they would very much agree. We have formed our camps around our ideas of what we thought to be our truth. And we haven't set ourselves as, could I learn from another? Could I come close to somebody else? Is my truth so formed in me that it couldn't be reformed in a sense by somebody coming alongside of me? Am I always the teacher or do I become a student? And maybe if I'd really enroll back in the school, God has actually placed all these people around me so that I get the benefit of who they are to this child. I, I, I find the more that I study, the less I know. But the more that I have a desire and a hunger, 
The Spirit of God will teach me and feed me and fill me. And that's why even for Revive School, I challenge you, stay in and stay with it because the revelation and the concepts that will come will enlarge you and then you'll have the ability at times to take one by the hand and that absolutely satisfies what the kingdom of heaven is all about. There are so many important concepts in in this chapter. We, you know, I've been around the church for a long time. And one of the big things, if you talk Matthew 18, immediately a lot of pastors will go, that's the, that's the place of church discipline. And yet what you really could get back and say, actually, I think it's a chapter of one another. Because he's telling us all of us need to be teachable. All of us have to come into this place where we humble ourselves and we submit ourselves into the kingdom understanding. And so today, let's just present ourselves again as children and say, God, teach me, show me your ways. And we'll see you again.